Enoch, a mysterious biblical figure who walked with God. He is alleged to have written a book of his travels through the cosmos and encounters with fallen angels. The eponymous Book of Enoch, revered by ancient Jews and Christians. Today it is rejected by most established religions, but popular with countercultural spirituality and paranormal researchers. In this session, I'll discuss the utter weirdness of the Book of Enoch, how it was, and again is, a centerpiece for divergent lines of thought about reality and our place in the universe, including research into magic, UFOs, and even Bigfoot. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session. Tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. The idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult, supernatural, and paranormal from an analytical standpoint. We're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses, and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations or swamp gas. But we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that, whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small s skepticism, a skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started. Welcome back. For this episode, I mostly drew from the Book of Enoch itself. I looked at three versions, the Complete Book of Enoch, Standard English Version by Jay Winter. I also consulted the reputable One Enoch Hermenia Translation by George E. Nicholsberg. I also listened to the audiobook Book of Enoch, available on Spotify as a podcast from soulgood.org. And then I'll talk about particular scholarly texts that I consulted as we go through. Let's get straight to the book itself. What does it say? And how is it important? And my goal today is just to establish that this is a historically important book that has some very interesting things to say and show that it connects strongly to Western esoteric traditions, including Bigfoot and UFOlogy. Esoteric traditions are just those traditions that are little known, most people are not aware of, but which exist nevertheless. And they often deal with things that are Forbidden, strange, unexplained, magic, mystery, monsters. So let's get started. The Book of Enoch is believed to have been written about 2nd century BC. Today, the most complete versions of the book exist in the Ethiopian Coptic Church, which regards the book as sacred scripture. They are joined in that belief by the Beta Israel, Jewish Ethiopian community. Their most complete version of the book is believed to have been translated from ancient Greek into Coptic, and originally it was written in Aramaic. So it went from Aramaic to Greek to Ethiopian. So it's definitely gone through a lot of retranslations and rewrites. Now, the rest of the world didn't even know that the Book of Enoch still existed until around the 18th century. So it was a popular text among some Jews and many Christians up until the 4th century when it fell out with Christians. By the 8th century, it's believed to have been more or less ignored. And then at some point, it disappears. Again, most Europeans didn't know it existed until the 18th century. 
So it is a lost book. Now the character Enoch occurs in the book of Genesis, sacred scripture to both Christians and Jews. Genesis basically just says that there was a man named Enoch. He became father of Methuselah. Methuselah will then be the grandfather of Noah, the man who survives the flood. That's important. But all we're told about Enoch is that he lives to be 365 years old, and then he walks with God. In fact, the New International Version of the Bible says, Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more, because God took him away. Now that was traditionally interpreted by Jews and Christians as saying that Enoch was assumed bodily into heaven. So did not die, but beamed straight up into the celestial spheres. Now there's one other figure in uh, the Bible who also is assumed bodily into heaven, and that would be the prophet Elijah. But we have a lot more material about Elijah, and uh, he has a whole book, the book of Elijah. Well, this Enoch character had nothing more than really just one paragraph written about him. No explanation about what he did that was so important that he doesn't have to die, but goes straight into heaven. And so it may have come as no surprise to many people that in the second century, a book was released purporting to have been written by Enoch himself. This book talks about what Enoch saw when he ascended into heaven. What happens in the book of Enoch? Um, basically, by the second chapter, there's a plot that starts to develop around a band of angels called the Watchers, and other versions called the B'nai Elohim, which means sons of God. These Watchers notice that the human race has been multiplying, and there are many beautiful and comely daughters on the earth, a band of 200 of them decide to marry human women. Their leader, Azazel, is concerned the plan will bring them punishment from God, and he will take all the blame since he's the guy in charge. So he has them all swear a mutual oath that they will carry out this plan. And so they descend to earth and land on Mount Hermon, which is a real mountain. It's where Syria, Lebanon, and Israel meet today. Uh, the Watchers take human wives and they have human children. They also teach a variety of arts and sciences, metallurgy, jewelry making, cosmetics, magic, astrology, and sorcery. Their children grow up to be giants who are described as 3,000 L's. That would make them about a mile tall. Unfortunately, these giants run amok. They consume the planet's livestock, and as they exhaust the supply of cattle, they start to turn on the human race, and they begin eating people. And then when they run low on people, they start eating each other. The archangels in heaven, Michael, Uriel, Raphael, and Gabriel, who get mentioned by name in this book, they see the lawlessness and bloodshed taking place on earth. They complain to God about the chaos. So God takes action. He orders Uriel to go contact Noah the human and warn Noah he's about to send a flood to destroy the planet. Raphael is dispatched to capture the leader of the Watchers. Michael is sent to round up the majority of the Watchers. God also decrees that the Watchers shall be imprisoned for 70,000 years on Earth. There they will watch the destruction of their children, and they will remain there until the end of time, at which point they will be thrown into a fire. And Enoch is dispatched to uh, tell the Watchers they've been condemned. So when Enoch goes to speak to the imprisoned Watchers, they become upset. They're crying. They ask Enoch to intervene for them. He writes up a petition, ask God for mercy, and he delivers the petition. But God contacts Enoch and says there will be no mercy for the Watchers because of the evil they let loose on the earth. 
Uh, later in the book, even the archangels express shock at the severity of the punishment. And it's uh, striking to me that we get a lot of material about the Watchers having misgivings about their plan. Then they regret their plan when they're punished. They try to seek clemency from God. They're denied clemency. Even the archangels are surprised. Uh, we get a lot of humanizing material about these angels, which struck me as very interesting and probably plays a role in explaining how people have come to interpret this text in the 19th, 20th, and 21st centuries. I'll get to that. Reading the text directly, it certainly seems to me that part of why God is so angry and unwilling to grant the angels clemency is uh, not just that they gave birth or their wives gave birth to giants who ran amok and killed everyone, necessitating a flood to purge the earth of their presence, but also that the Watchers taught human beings a variety of secrets, various arts and sciences mentioned earlier. At one point, the angel Uriel reveals that the spirits of fallen angels will lead humankind astray, so they will sacrifice to demons. In some versions of Enoch, Uriel also reveals the wives of the angels who transgressed, they will become sirens. Sirens, characters from Greek mythology, they're uh, frequently depicted as creatures with the heads and busts of women attached to the bodies of giant birds, and they are the femmes fatales who lure heroes to their doom. This is all just in the first few chapters of the Book of Enoch. And uh, one other thing I need to mention that we are also told, the giants are all exterminated. And after they are exterminated, their souls or their spirits are said to stay on the earth, and they become the evil spirits who haunt mankind. But after this, the plot of the Book of Enoch begins to fall apart. There's less action, less stuff happens. Instead, it's more just Enoch going on a grand tour of the cosmos. He visits various inaccessible and forlorn spaces scattered around the universe. And there he finds a lot of prisons. For example, he visits a mountain with hollow spaces inside of it, which he's told are holding pens for the souls of the dead. He visits a ravine in the wilderness that is going to be the final resting place for people who speak ill of God. He goes off planet and finds a chaotic place in space where there are columns of fire and that's where the Watchers are to be thrown at the end of time. He's taken to another random place in space and finds stars. They're described as mountains of fire, and they are being punished for not rising on time. These stars are punished for 10,000 years. Not all of the inaccessible and wild places Enoch visits are places of punishment. We also get a long description of the forests that fringe the edge of the earth. For in this book, the writer seems to have assumed that the earth is flat, it's sort of a, a disc sitting on top of a pedestal, and that it's fringed by uh, forests of wild, some of them smell like frankincense and myrrh, some of them can be, uh, their bark can be ground up to make a perfume, but there's a lot in this book about sort of uh, what people often call liminal spaces. So spaces that are between, or spaces that are out of the way, sort of borderland, type areas. And uh, you might ask, why does Enoch spend so much time touring off-the-map borderlands? Yes, he does go to visit God on his throne, and he sees the Garden of Eden, which sound like highlights of the cosmos, but he spends an extraordinary amount of time in these places it seems like nobody would want to go to. It's a lot like visiting New York City, and instead of going to see the Statue of Liberty in Times Square, you go to Hunts Point in the Bronx, and then down into the sewer system underneath Manhattan. 
borderlands and in-between places. Um, these are often important in the cryptid and haunting literature. And I think understanding this is important for understanding why the Book of Enoch is so important in esoteric traditions. There's a lot of evidence out there to show that we associate spooky things with these liminal spaces. Take a look at the Gospel of Matthew, which says, quote, When an evil spirit comes out of a person, it travels through dry places looking for a place to rest. Note also that in the Gospels, Jesus is described as encountering the devil during his 40 days of fasting in the desert. The famous Egyptian Christian Anthony the Great supposedly encountered a friendly creature that was half human, half animal during his travels through the desert. Of course, he also encountered demons in the desert as well. Uh, the Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts is a swampy and wild region where people have reported seeing everything from UFOs to giant snakes to puckwudgies, which are a kind of elf-like monster. The Mothman said to have haunted an abandoned TNT storage facility in the wilderness outside Point Pleasant, West Virginia. On this show, we interviewed a woman who encountered a swamp ape while squatting on an abandoned mine in Florida. These are just little points of evidence to suggest that these liminal spaces are important in our ghost stories, and our haunting stories. Um, people don't tend to encounter spirits and weird creatures, you know, in broad daylight on the highways or in the middle of a city. The Book of Enoch is very much speaking to the esoteric tradition, or at least to things that people who are interested in the esoteric tradition are also interested in. Now, of course, the Book of Enoch is also important because it seems to give a story about why there's evil in the world, specifically evil spirits. Now, if you're Christian or Jewish, you're familiar with the story of the fall of Adam and Eve. They're the first humans. They're told not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A serpent tells them to go ahead and do it anyway. So they do it. They eat the forbidden fruit. And, of course, they are expelled from the Garden of Eden. And that's supposed to explain why there's suffering in the world. Why does a good God permit us to suffer? Because our first ancestors sinned, and we've inherited the curse of their sin. But the original sin of Adam and Eve happens because they're tempted into eating that apple by a snake or a serpent. He's often said to be a rogue angel, but this only begs the question, what happened with the angels? Why did they break bad? Well, the book of Enoch is offering an explanation, saying some angels, at least, wanted human wives. They transgressed the natural order. They brought giants into the world. And the ghosts of the giants are the evil spirits who haunt our liminal spaces. So we get an explanation here of why there's evil in the world. And then going further, the Book of Enoch also mentions that the wives of the Watchers will turn into sirens. And so when you think about the Book of Enoch as explaining where giants come from, where evil spirits come from, and where sirens come from, I see this as a book. It's giving a not just an account of evil, but also an account of creepy evil. You might call it a cryptogenesis or a cryptogenesis. You might even, dare I say, claim that this lost and sometimes forbidden book is a cryptid nomicon. There I'm riffing off of the uh, term necronomicon, which is of course a fictional book from the uh, mythos of H.P. Lovecraft, an American neo-Gothic science fiction writer who created a fictional, ancient, cursed, forbidden book in order to help explain much of the uh, material in his short stories. So you might see it as a cryptid nomicon. 
Whatever you might think, this is definitely a text that ties many loose ends together. It's riffing off of Genesis, which is a core scriptural text to Christians and Jews. And so one source I found, one YouTube video, uh, even said, well, you think of it as spin-off literature. Somebody read Genesis. They read the story of Enoch. They saw that there was it was underexplained why this man was so important. Then they also saw references to angels coming down from heaven in Genesis, also underexplained, a flood in Genesis, and they decided to sort of weave a narrative that ties all that together. But when I was reading the book, I noticed some things that reminded me of uh, Greek mythology. First of all, the sirens are flat out from Greek mythology. Also, the idea of, uh, well, there being giants. Well, Herodotus talks about giants. And furthermore, the very idea that the angels brought mankind forbidden knowledge reminds me of Prometheus, the titan who descends to earth to bring mankind the knowledge of fire. So this, if this book is just like, a, like I said, if we should think of it as like science fiction from the second century BC, it's science fiction that's responding to Genesis and it's also responding to Greek mythology. Now, we can also tie the Book of Enoch into a whole movement called Enochian magic. This is the art of gaining intelligence by communing with the angels mentioned by Enoch, for the Book of Enoch does mention a lot of angels. Enochian magic really became popular. I don't know. Popular is not quite the right word, but it came to the attention of many people through the work of 16th century alchemist, cryptologist, advisor to Queen Elizabeth, John Dee. So uh, John Dee was a very pious or very religious Christian man, and he wanted to speak to Enoch's angels. And he developed a system for communicating with them. At least that's what he thought he was doing. He is said to have had many, many transmissions received from these angels or what he thought were these angels. And he wrote down what they were telling him in a language that uh, they invented. And that tradition of Enochian magic got picked up by no one less than the British warlock, Aleister Crowley. Um, he was into Enochian magic, and he's written some material about it. Moving forward into the 21st century, there's somebody on YouTube, a popular occultist, Georgina Rose, puts out a lot of material on magic. And she has some material about Enochian magic as well. Moving on to another esoteric tradition is the whole sub-literature of Bigfoot researchers who work on giants. Now, the academics will trace uh, the material on giants, the legends about giants, back through Beowulf, an old English poem about a hero battling giants and monsters that seems to have brought some material from Enoch into the Middle Period. But uh, moving beyond academia, I know that uh, there used to be a lot of fringe material in North America about giants. Many Native Americans tell stories about giants. And so you will find stories from the 19th century about early Americans finding giant bones in strange places in the United States. So there you have a link between the Book of Enoch and the Bigfoot research. Now, the most interesting link is this link between uh, the Book of Enoch and basically UFOlogy. This goes back to the 19th century when Russian-American writer Helena Blavatsky, who was very interested in the Book of Enoch, and she held the view that the Watchers in Enoch were actually the good guys. They had been sent to intermarry with humans. It was their job. They were doing the right thing. I imagine that she got that 
because of all the sort of sympathetic material to the Watchers in that Book of Enoch. Now, she wrote uh, an occult classic text titled The Secret Doctrine. This book maintains that the Watchers were the teachers of the Atlanteans. They brought us many secret bits of secret knowledge that have been lost. In Blavatsky's world, the Atlanteans were a technologically advanced super race. One of Blavatsky's shticks as an occultist was her claim to be in contact with a secretive organization called the Hidden Masters. She claimed the Hidden Masters were enlightened beings who carried on the Atlantean tradition. She and her followers would claim to be in telepathic communication with these masters. And over time, this idea of telepathic communication with a sort of breakaway civilization or a remnant of Atlantis, it's said to have morphed into the E.T. contact stories. So back in the day, the 19th century, people had strange encounters. They received what they thought were messages from another being. They interpreted those as contact with a breakaway civilization. But as we move into the 20th century, people were interpreting that same kind of strange experience as contact with otherworldly beings or extraterrestrials. This idea, the, the narrative I just told you, comes from a scholarly or academic article. These are they, E.T. Human Hybridization and the New Diamondology by Robert Pearson Flaherty. It's in the journal Nova Religio, which is a journal of alternative and emergent religions. As that article points out, Further valorization of the narrative of Enoch occurred in the 20th century when French race car driver Claude Vorhillon published a book claiming to have had an encounter with an alien in the French countryside. This alien informed him there's a factual basis behind many books in the Bible, but it's the story of humans interacting with aliens. In fact, this man was informed the aliens had come to bring secret knowledge to mankind just as described in the Book of Enoch. Unfortunately, their efforts were suppressed by the Galactic Federation. And that man later went on to change his name to Ryle and form a religion known today as Raelianism. So there you have the modern history of the Book of Enoch as something rooted in uh, originally this Russian-American occultism of Helena Blavatsky, that then develops into aliens. So I think this is just amazing. This ancient book is a broad cultural touchstone. I've linked it to both the Jew Jewish and Christian traditions as well as the Greek mythology, but you see its connection to various esoteric traditions, cryptid research, UFOlogy, and magic. So I hope I've convinced you it's an important book, at least culturally important. The people who value it tend to take that position, that it's a uh, it's, a, at best, a distorted recollection of something that actually took place. Now, some people throughout history have gone further than this. They made the stronger assumption Enoch is a sacred text. So we know many early Christians did this. The book of Enoch is actually quoted in the book of Jude, which is considered canonical to most Christians today. We know that some mystical groups followed it, or at least they followed a later book called Enoch 3. Um, so if Enoch is a sacred text. It would be the revealed truth of the divine. Um, now, should you believe this? I don't know. This is a, a stronger assumption than I think the esoteric tradition makes. It's definitely not a widespread assumption. A problem with it, to my mind, is that Enoch contains a lot of bad physics and cosmology. So there's the description of a flat earth. There are portals in the heavens to let the wind in. 
The stars are depicted as animated living beings because they're being punished for 10,000 years. So some of them are. Um, so here's the problem. I don't think you can take this book as literally true if you accept modern physics and cosmology as being broad approximations of reality that at least they outperform the geocentric view of the world that was held by the ancient Hebrews. So if you regard the Book of Enoch as sacred, you still have to adopt some kind of interpretive theory that distances you from the bad physics and cosmology. So you'd have to say it's symbolic uh, or something like that. And if you do that, if you adopt a view that it's, it's symbolic or you say that maybe the, the bad physics and the bad cosmology was added later, um, you're adopting an interpretive theory that distances you from the text. You sound a lot like the esotericists who say that it's a historically true but distorted recollection of something that actually happened. Um, of course, there are going to be philosophical differences in those approaches. But my point I'm trying to say is that uh, I'm not sure how you can realistically defend a position that's much stronger than the position of the esotericists. So I don't think that very much really hangs in the balance on the question of whether this is a sacred text or simply a garbled historical transmission. And then, you know, Christians and Jews, um, they have specific arguments about why specifically you ought not regard this text as divine or as scripture. So if you're committed to Judaism or Christianity, um, you might want to go look up those arguments for why this book cannot be sacred scripture. I won't go into that because you can find that material very easily on YouTube. Again, I don't think very much hangs in the balance here because even if you decide that it definitely cannot be scripture that doesn't rule out that it could be a garbled historical transmission or a culturally interesting text, and I saw that a lot of Christians are interested in the Book of Enoch because they think that it helps them understand the cultural context in which early Christianity arose. So I think that this is an important text. I think it's underrated and underappreciated. And because the book seems to offer a kind of unified explanatory account of a wide range of evils, supernatural and natural, as well as an account of these liminal spaces and their uh, role in our experience of the supernatural or paranormal, I contend that we can look at it as a kind of cryptid nomicon, or at least a book that contains a cryptid genesis, an account of the origin of creepy evil. And this may explain why the book and its themes continue to preoccupy occult and paranormal traditions around the world. I will leave you with that, but I will say one further thing that is really personal and not in any way part of the argument I just made. So if you're interested in that kind of esoteric stuff, I have good news for you because Happy Trees Supplies is doing a fire sale on their Metatron stash boxes. I've mentioned before Happy Trees supplies beautiful wooden lock boxes, which contain a neodymium grinder and a lit jar for the storing of herbal stash and their Metatron stash boxes have a geometric design known as Metatron's Cube engraved on the box and on the accessories. Metatron's Cube was designed by the Renaissance mathematician and artist Leonardo Pisano. It combines various platonic solids into one single shape and represents the 13 archangels with 13 circles and Metatron at the center. Now, of course, Metatron is mentioned briefly in the Jewish Talmud as the highest of the angels, and in a version of the Book of Enoch that is popular with Jewish mystics known as Enoch III, 
Uh, Metatron is discussed extensively, and Enoch actually transforms into the Metatron. Now, I've discovered that the complex geometric figure of Metatron's cube facilitates meditation. What you can do is just remain focused on the center, and over time, the other platonic solids contained within the figure seem to fade in and out of focus. This unusual optical effect makes me wonder if perhaps the neurons in my occipital lobe are attempting to harmonize with the same frequency that the Metatron transmits on. Then again, maybe not. Maybe it's just a novel way to practice evidence-based meditation for relaxation. Happy Tree Supplies is doing 40% off on these Metatron-themed stash boxes. That's happytreesupplies.com. Use the coupon code SPECTRAL40 at takeout for 40% off. HappyTreesupplies.com If you get the stash box, or you just meditate on Metatron's cube, or you read the Book of Enoch, let me know what you think. If you have any, you know, impressions, thoughts, contacts from higher beings, write me at SpectralSkull at ProtonMail.com. For the Spectral Skull session, I have been Dane. Stay strange and stay sane.